0: Well, good morning. It's nice to be here. Share the morning with you. We made a better choice than all the people who are parked in Tesco's. All those blokes who are working on the bushes out there. Or the thousands of other people who are just wasting the morning. We made a good choice to come and worship Jesus. Because if we wait on the Lord, we renew our strength. Anybody been through an airport in the last six or nine months, 12 months? Who's been through an airport? Any of you find find that a bit of a challenge? Why's the belt got to come off? Why's the shoes got to come off? Why's the watch got to go in? Why did it send you back just because whatever? I was passing through Addis Addis Ababa Airport a week last uh, Thursday evening. And I was already not feeling brilliant because I'd eaten some food in the hotel that night. And I thought, I'm going to pay a price for this food. And I wasn't feeling great. So I got there before the the late night rush, but it was late night. I went through all the scanners, all the nonsense, shoes off, everything off. Bags through, no problem. I went and sat in the lounge for an hour. And then I, I walked. So I walked about 50 meters from where I first went through all this nonsense and then I sat in this little lounge and then I walked about another 30 metres and I went through it all again. And where could I have been? <laughs> the C C T cameras there, this happens all the time. And it's not just that you do a quick check, it's belt off, watch off, shoes off, coat in the thing. Have you got a laptop in that bag sir? Two little white plastic bags, one for a bit of medicine and one for all the other stuff, you, you learn I've got a wonderful way on a less than a week trip to carry hair gel because hair gel usually comes in bottles that are bigger than 100 cc's, and you can't have anything fluid more than 100 cc's. so I have one of those little white, white folding bags and I, and I squirt the stuff inside it and spread it all around and fold it four times and I've got enough. I've got enough gel for a week there's a tip for anybody who's worried about gel say, what in the name of heaven are you talking to us about? This is supposed to be church. Now, I've been traveling for a long time. And years and years ago, you went to an airport. You put the bag on the machine. They sometimes check the weight, very rarely. And then you just showed your passport and walked through and got on the plane. Nobody ever bothered. So what's happened? What's happened since I first started traveling... And now, people have lost trust and confidence in other human beings. That's what's happened. Now, there's a book written not that long ago, I think by uh, Stephen Covey's son. We're not going to do a a lot of business talk here. I'm just trying to set something up for you. Um, And and this is my little diagram based on on the idea of the the book. We'll do two simple diagrams. Number one, where trust, that's trust, where trust is high cost is low and speed is fast yes everybody got it i'll run through it once more where trust is high And cost is low, progress, speed, is fast. Think about it again though. Where trust is low and cost is high, progress is slow. Now, you don't have to be really clever to work out that that's true. The illustration I've just given you about the airport is a classic illustration where trust in human community, for all sorts of reasons, terrorism, we understand all the reasons, but the bottom line of it is, there is a lack of trust. We're looking at people, what's in that bag? He looks a bit of a dodgy doula. I don't want to get in a plane next to him. Anybody ever thought like that? And then you go, oh God, forgive me, I shouldn't think like that about people. Think the best. And then you think, no, 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 he could kill me, that guy. What's going on with all of that? Trust is low, and literally the cost. In money and time and all sorts of things, the cost has become high, and in many situations, progress is slow. That's true in relationships, true in in marriages, true in church work, true in the place of work. We've got HM's offices here in Nottingham. And there are other places in the country and they're they're being given a terrible report at the moment, because some of you may even work there, because they're saying that even the staff don't trust the management. People are writing letters to those people and not getting answers for months on end from a government agency that's supposed to be serving the people. And an accountant said to me some years ago, David, I've been dealing with the revenue for many, many years and it used to be a... A proper civilized organization that tried to do its best for the people it was trying to serve, which is called the taxpayer. That's you and me. But he said, it has stopped being that. It is a money collecting operation. And it's lost the trust and the confidence of the people. So guess what? If trust is low, costs are going to go up and progress is slow. Now I could go on and on like this to prove the point. Just let me say one, one other thing. Just in passing, Christian was very kind there, talking about how things that get said to you, and I'll make another comment later on, things that get said to you can have an impact on changing your life. On, on this uh, trip to Addis Ababa that I did just a few days ago, a couple of weeks ago, we were passing through Terminal 3 on the way out, and um, we were in a bit of a, a busyness to get to uh, where we wanted to get to, uh, which included the loo. And uh, my friend who was travelling with me, Ron, he said, uh, that's your name. Someone's shouting my name. And there's thousands of people in this place. And uh, I I, I wanted to get to the little bathroom. So I ignored it for a bit because i mean, in that many numbers. It could be anybody called David, couldn't they? Anyway, it persisted. And I turned around and a huge young man came running up to me. He said, wow, what a privilege, what a pleasure to see you and I couldn't place him so I said who are you he said I was a student in Nottingham some years ago comes from obviously a very good background he's now teaching in Cheltenham College he said I just want to thank him on my way to Kenya where are you going I said "Oh, I'm going to Ethiopia he said well I'm going to Kenya and I just I'm so thrilled to see you here in this uh, airport today I said well why is that he said well He said, I came to your church in Nottingham, and I was a student for quite some time. He said, and what I learned there changed the course of my life forever. Isn't that fantastic? He said, "Um, I'm teaching, but I'm studying a master's in theology, and I'm going to join the Anglican ministry and be a vicar in Kenya. And you go, wow. For those of you who have a prophetic side to you, you've got to keep on speaking. Even in times when you don't feel like it. And it will keep coming back to you. Now, let's let's try and root what we're saying here about trust. Let's root that in the Bible. Now, it's all over the Bible. Of course, in the in the Old Testament, the word trust is, is there in the King, King James Version over 130 times. And there's five basic meanings to the word. I'm not going to go through all of that. Um, But the verse that just came to me strongly, which is a verse I've loved for a long time, is in Proverbs. Have you guys got anything in in your machine? Look at this. That's the message. Have you got both of them? Well, we're, we're really cooking with the gas this morning. There you go. Think about this. Just look at it as I read it to you. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen to God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Should we try that once more? Just let the words sink in. For those of us who have known the Bible a long time, it's a different translation. We'll read a more familiar one in a minute. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen to God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Any of that register with anybody? We've got some action words there, haven't we? Trust God from the bottom of your heart don't try to figure it out an action of listening and then a promise he's the one who will keep you on track so the second, third and fourth lines on what we have on the screen there are explaining some of the ways that we fulfill the first line yes trust God in everything and it will mean that you won't try and figure it all out you will listen to God In everywhere you go and everything you do. And then there's the promise. He is the one who will keep you on track. Can you give us the other, the NIV? This is better known. I learned this. These sort of words many, many years ago as as a kid in the King James, which isn't much different than this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. Or acknowledge him, some of the other translations. And he will make your path straight or direct your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him. And he will make your path straight. Thank you. Some anonymous person said, love many, trust few, but always paddle your own canoe. I'm not sure that's a good idea at all, actually. Yes, love many. We do have to be wise in who we trust. That's true. Trust can never be demanded. It can only ever be given. But the idea of paddling my own canoe is not a good idea. So in reflecting on these thoughts about trust, because the key thing here is to learn how to keep trust high, isn't it? If we want to make progress with our lives, if we want everything around our lives to to work well for us, if we want, in the words of the message, he's the one who will keep you on track or he's the one who will make your path straight or direct your paths. So what, what might it look like to keep trust high and who should we Who should we trust? And it will help us, as I've been seeking to illustrate, will help us a lot if we realize that there is a massive cost in any situation where trust is less than high. Life will go slower with many more difficulties. Our daughter Sarah is married to Christopher, and his father died this week, 80 years old and 200 and something days been very, very active till about three or four weeks ago. And uh, his wife, Jill, had said to him, they were talking recently, they're very middle class people, very reserved English people. You know, the sort of people that don't, they don't wear their heart on their sleeve. And uh, as they've grown older, in the last year or two, she said to the family just this week, we, we had been saying to each other, they had been learning from others around them, that we need to be really open and straightforward with each other. We need to tell each other, even though they've been married for 50 years, we need to say to each other how we're feeling. We've got to be, got to be straightforward. because Otherwise your relationship isn't going to work well. Because trust is not fed. If there's secrecy and things that are in the dark. Fascinating that older people like that would takes so long, I'm not saying that in any condemnation, to grasp this truth. Now all of the words in the Bible that this word here in Proverbs 3 is about, the word is in the Hebrew, it means, as I've understood it from Strong's and others that I've talked about, it means to cling. It's literally like fruit that clings to a vine, and and heavier fruit that is dependent, it's a bit tenuous, the vine doesn't look as strong necessarily as the fruit that it's holding but it is strong enough to sustain it and you may feel that around you the presence of God or God himself who you know in your head is strong but he's not visible particularly in the times when you don't feel like trusting God seems to be a bit missing yeah where are you Lord when things are going well you feel his presence but in some of the tougher times you feel and you think that's it's to cling we have to hold on To the promise of the presence of God. We have to believe he is who he is. That he will never leave us or forsake us. That he only ever has our best interests at heart. And that the only way that we will not have his blessing is to continue to live in disobedience to what he tells us to do. Because then he he can't bless us the way he wants to bless us. So the idea is to cling to. It's a really active, strong, not not desperation thing, but a determination thing to trust. It can also mean to have confidence. Trust can mean to to have confidence in. And we can afford to have confidence in the Lord. So I I was thinking about this and uh, I heard a man talking about that simple principle Uh, when I was away in Addis. We had a, a, a leaders conference and I I developed some of my own thinking around it. And I thought, well, what can this trust thing look like? So I thought we'd we'd look at it in in two simple ways. Um, Just to walk into the Bible here, and I feel that strongly as the service has gone on, and I'll explain that in a minute. And then I also, I was sitting reflecting, Lord, if I want my life, if I want the things around me to have your blessing to so that progress is smooth and fast. Just what does trust look like for me? And, uh, and I, I started to work on, on the idea, very simple idea of, you know, what these letters could mean. Yes? That make up trust. It's, you know, it's a really simple message I'm preaching here today. And I hope you don't find that uh, frustrating but helpful. Trust requires certain things. And I'll, I'll give you one or two of them, and you can, you can, add, you can add other words to this, because this, this is a big a piece of, of, of thinking. I don't know uh, if everybody can see it, because we're on a widespread here, so I've just done trust down in, in a line. The first one for me is, trust must be based on truth. You cannot ever develop trust in a context of untruth or lies, suspicion, uncertainty. Does that sound sensible? So God wants us to trust him. So here we go. If God wants us to trust him, that means he expects us to be truthful with him. And because he is who he is, he makes an absolute commitment to be truthful with us. Yes? And he has been. Now some of us find it really, really difficult. But God has not minced words about our condition. True? True? Romans, without going into a big study about it, Romans starts off with a treatise that talks about the ungodly and the Jewish community as two separate identities. And it talks about the Gentile community being all sinners. And then it talks outside the covenant of God. And then it talks about the Jewish community being sinners. And then it says in chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned, And come short of the glory of God. Now how many, I'll say that verse once more just in case we're slow to register the words. Uh, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So anybody that opens the Bible with any openness at all is going to understand quite quickly that God is not messing about. He's made it absolutely clear that we're all doomed. You say, what a God is that? An honest one. A one who tells the truth. What's the point of fooling people about their condition? What's the point of young people who, you know, living together or doing the sort of things that young people do? Oh, I love you very much, you know. I'm going to be with you forever. And all the time they're plotting to go off with some other goon. Who needs that nonsense? We need the truth. People say, well situation close to our family some years ago someone says well during this period that's just gone by I just I just wanted you to uh, to be more spiritual around me I, I wanted you to provide some covering for me I wanted you to pray for me and uh, because I wanted to see what was inside you as a person and uh, you haven't done that and the other person said well if you'd only told me that was what you wanted I would have done it. Yeah, well, we understand that, but you'd have done it because I told you, not because you wanted to. And I needed to prove what was really in you. Were you really a spiritual person that wanted to look after my well-being? So, God has promised to be absolutely straight up with us. Yes? He's promised to tell us the truth. And he doesn't only tell us we've made a, a mess of it. Even if we're living what we call good lives. Let me tell you one very simple fact. We have this phrase around in the modern world, bad things happen to good people. And I understand its meaning, uh, and I I, I get it at at one level. The truth of the Bible is there's only one good person and very bad things happen to him. Because the rest of us, to some degree or other, deserve what we're getting. And actually, most of us deserve more than we're getting. And Jesus illustrates that. You people say, why why were these people more evil? Because this tower fell on them. Think yourself lucky, it didn't fall on you. He doesn't use that word, but that's what he means. Yeah? So he promises to be dead straight with us. And what a wonderful message the gospel is. Because he said, I'm not only telling you you're lost. I'm also going to tell you I love you. And to prove how much I love you, my love is not words. It's actions. I'm going to send myself in the person of my son And I'm going to kill him on your behalf. So that you can be the righteousness of God. So that you can look in the mirror and not go, oh, what a pretty boy I am. Because we're not. Well, I aren't anyway. I've got one of those great faces for radio. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah. And those of you who are pretty are not that pretty inside either, are we? We all know that. How do we we become honest about ourselves as he's honest with us? Because his love says that we have become the righteousness of God in Christ. We've been put into Christ as though we'd never done anything wrong. If we'll only live out a life of confessing our sins and finding him faithful and just to forgive us from all our sins. And if you've never done that, what a wonderful day at the beginning of August in 2011. Because there'll never be a better day than today to confess Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And recognize that you are the sinner that Jesus died for and put your hand out and say, however well I'm doing, I'm not doing as good as I could. Please take my hand and direct my life from now on. I'll put you in charge of it. I did that when I was 10, which is 58 years ago. It was the best choice I've ever made in my life. And I made a few good choices like mine and that girl at the back. So we need truth. Now, if God's going to be true with us, we need to be true with him. So one of the reasons why, and some of you have heard me say this to you before, why I recommend that you read the Psalms on a very regular basis. And most church traditions over 2,000 years more will uh, encourage people to read the Psalms. Because the Psalms are an incredibly honest book in the middle of our Bibles. Because when we're up and when we're full of joy and thanksgiving, it gives us Loads of ammunition to speak out and sing out and pray out. Because it, it, just, it just says God is who he is and we're so grateful. Yes? We're going to praise the Lord with all our heart and strength. Yeah. It's, it's all over the Psalms. And when we're down in the mouth, it's dead honest. So the Psalmist can say, God, you know these enemies are mine. I'm sick of them. If I had my way, I'd smash their teeth. Literally, that's what it says. Now, I don't know about you, but the sore bloke I am, I mean, I know there's some much more wonderful Christians here in Ilkeston, but I, I, I'm still very much damaged in recovery, even though I've been a Christian all this time. And I'm not, I'm not that perfect yet. And there are parts of me who, like him in the traffic, and Dorothy will say to me, one of the reasons she says when I'm driving, I get nervous coming up to things and being a bit dithery, because I can hear you behind me saying, come on, woman, get out of the way, move on. That's not sexist because I can say that to men as well. And I know know about myself. But when I read the Psalms, God knows how I'm feeling anyway. So I just need to be straightforward and honest with him. You need to get over yourself and learn in prayer to be honest with God. Hello? You need to be honest with him. If you actually feel that you've prayed for a long time about something, and now it's happened, as they say in this part of the world, you need to say to the Lord... Lord, I've been praying about this for a long time, and I don't feel now it's happened. And I don't know what you're on with. And I feel quite peeved about it, actually. You can tell him all that as long as you end. But I trust you. Because I know you know better than I do. But I need you to know how I feel about it. Because I'll do you good. Because you're being honest with God. Day by day. That doesn't give us the right to bleat on and whatever, because we sometimes need to get hold of ourselves and say, come on, hope thou in God. Why are you cast down on my soul? Hope in God. Get that grip on yourself. Stop that nonsense. There's another part to it. But in it all, if we're going to have trust, it requires truth. Yes? This one I'm going I'm, I'm to call relationship. You could have the word uh, reality. There's, there's a number of words you can you can have for relationship. You think of your own. You can make your own as you go along. You see, to come to a place of of proper trust, you've got to have some sort of relationship. The people you can trust the most are the people you know the best, because you know them. You know they're for real. Yes. Well, the ones that you're going to trust, you will either come to a point where you don't trust them at all, you will trust them. So relationships are important. So I'm not going to stop on any of these uh, too much more now. How how do you develop a relationship? It requires a commitment on your part. And if we're talking about trust in the Lord, because you can apply this to other relationships in your life, but the primary one is trust in the Lord, then we need to develop a relationship with the Lord. And the only way you're going to do that is by being available to Him. As we heard in that scripture in everything you do in everywhere you go to be listening to learn how to know his presence and you've heard me say before i've been married to dorothy for 46 years now if she coughs in in anything over about 10 or 15 minutes time most of you won't hear her cough but i will because that's her telling me it's time to sit down david you've bored these people long enough which is why i don't always take her with me everywhere because it gives me a bit of a free go on other occasions Now, how do I know that coffin? you don't? Because I've lived with her for 46 years. And we have a relationship where we we know what's happening. So if you want a relationship where you can truly trust God, you need to spend time in committing to it. And some of that will be through reading the Bible, non-sexy things like reading the Bible and praying and being with other Christians who will spur you on it's dead simple, actually. It's like saying, if I want this car to go somewhere, I better put some fuel in it. Because I mean, if you don't put fuel in it, it's going to run out. And that's just the same for you. If you don't put spiritual fuel in your, in your tank, you're going you're to run out. People are daft. I've watched it over all the years. Because, oh, you, know, you know, I don't need all this prayer business. I don't need all this reading. I'm not coming to meetings. And you just watch them fade away they don't develop a relationship with God. Yes? At this one, I put down the word unity when I thought about it. There are some other words there, uh, but I'll stick with unity. What do you mean by that? We are to be united with Christ. We are, we are to, to be joined to him. There's a verse in the Old Testament that says, how can two walk together unless they're agreed? Yes? How many of you know God is always right? And you might be right sometimes. So if you're going to walk with him, you're going to change your mind more often than him. <laughs> Did everybody get that? Yes. So if we want to trust this God, we have to learn to walk with him. United with him. It's a development of the relationship idea. I, I, I wrote down the word sensitivity. Sensitive. It, uh, in life, this is one of the issues that, uh, that I find where people uh, fall out with each other most easily. All these other things are very important. Some people are not even prepared to tell the truth to each other and then there's, there's no foundation for their relationship. But sensitivity... So, Now, for those of you who haven't got this yet, and they don't, you don't have to be young to have not got it, let me tell you, I've met some pretty stubborn pig-headed older people who haven't got this yet at all because they think that everybody should think the way they think. Everybody should make decisions the way they make decisions. Everybody should process information the way they process information. And hello, we're not all the same. So some very straightforward, direct people like me, they want it all out there. Let's just get it all out there I'm, I'm an alpha-type male. Let's get a decision made here because life's too short. We've got to get on with stuff. So that lady there who loves me very much but also is a very strong friend and critic, she'll say to other people about me, which I think is cruel, uh, she'll say, that man, he's got an opinion about everything, he even things he knows nothing about. Now, I think that's unkind. That's, that's under, the, under the line. But that's the way she feels about me, and actually, it's probably true. Because I have an opinion about everything. That's the sort of person I am. I'm out there when some bozo comes on television talking political nonsense. I'm shouting back at the telly, "What are you talking about, you silly fool?" Anybody else here? See, but no, not everybody's like that. Some people they take it all in. They they don't move a muscle. You think, is there any life in these people? What do I need to prick them with to get a reaction? You never get a reaction from them. I work with some people. You won't get a reaction from them in five years. But give them a bit of time. They're reflective type of people. Or deliberative is no, another one of the phrases. They need time to process information. Anybody, husbands and wives, realising something's going off here? Because we're all different. And there's no point expecting deliberative, thoughtful, reflective people to be mouthing off the moment you've given them an idea. They're not going to do it. Those of us who are parents, we watch our children. We have to learn that our children can be very different from the way we are wired. And it's no good trying to make them make decisions the way we make decisions. We've got to help them become the person they were created to be. Yes? And how wonderful it is to know that in trusting God, He knows absolutely how every one of us was wired. He wired us the way we are so that we could do what He wants us to do with our lives. And I find that's okay. And I can cope with that. But I have to learn to to understand myself and I have to learn to understand others. And I think it's a Colby statement, isn't it, that's been... It's a Bible phrase modernized, actually. We have to first learn to understand before we're understood. Yes? Sensitivity in listening and hearing and responding to the voice of God. And the voice of people around us. And then the last one is something that's not there's not much of. So we think in the modern world it's called time. You'll never arrive at a relationship of trust without time. And actually, we've all got as much time as we've ever had. There's all sorts of nonsensical things written about when the telephone was first invented, when computers first came in. People were going to, supposed to have, there wouldn't be any more work to be done because robots and computers would do it all. And we look round all this time later, and MPs are spending 1,000 hours, is it a year or a week, Uh, Not can't be a week a thousand thousand hours on tweet tweeting because the modern world has just rampaciously, aggressively grabbed more and more of our time and we need to say just a minute as Alan Hewitt said in our church a couple of years ago he said some of you need to spend less time in Facebook and more time in his book because this stuff just takes your life over and we're not Only talking to the young. So where's the time component that helps you develop a relationship where you can truly trust in the Lord? Yes? Any of that helpful to anybody? Anything anybody needs to go and do any work on? So that you arrive at a place where you can truly say that if I trust in the Lord with all my heart. In other words, I completely depend upon it. I cling to him, if he doesn't hold me, I'm going to fall to the ground. Like the heavy melon on the, on the fruit. It's just, it's not going to sustain itself. It has to be held by what it's trusting in. Put your, put your trust in the Lord is another way that the Bible puts it. And it literally is to lean beyond the point of balance where if what you're trusting in moved out of the way, you'd fall over. Trust in the Lord with absolute, total and utter confidence clinging only to him yes so if we want life to really go we better find this place of trust and the cost will be much less the cost in pain and broken relationships time and money I'm telling you it will be much less let me just finish with these phrases here have you you got that message translation again just throw that up for me again that would really be very helpful So we're to trust God from the bottom of our heart. That's where we've been spending our time. Everybody okay on that? So this translation says the way we we work that out is that we stop trying to figure things out on our own. Now that doesn't mean to say we shouldn't use our brains. You know, if you've got financial issues going on in in your family and you need to sit down and write all the bills down, and you need to find out what's going on and what's coming in. We have to do what we have to do. But we're not trusting in ourselves. We're not trying to work it out without his help. We're trusting in him. Don't try and figure it out on your own. Don't try and do life on your own. I've, I'm writing a book called Presence Carries at the moment. I've come to this absolute conclusion. And that is that we are not fully human until we know God. And carry his presence until we recognize that without other people we are incomplete human beings. If you try and live as an island, I'm self-sufficient, you are less than fully human. Because God created us with a capacity and a need for other people. We were born for community. We were born for interdependence. And we become fully human when we know him, carry his presence, and understand the joy that in some parts of my life, I need other people to make me a complete person. That's wholeness. So I'm not going to try and figure all this stuff out on my own. I'm not going to try and do everything myself. Because actually, there are some people who are much better at some things than I am. Even in the life of our community down in Talbot Street. Even some of the public things. That's where well, we all understand it now. And the boys will say to me, let's, let's, let's not, the boss won't do that. that. The boss won't come over best if we put him in that position. That's great. Does that make me feel less? No, it makes me feel more. Because they recognize what I'm good at and they're saving me from what I'm not good at. And we all need to learn this. And let's just stop on this one for a moment. Listen to God's voice in everything you do. Because here here is this development in learning to listen for the voice of God. He speaks you truth. It will develop your relationship. You will hear and be united. it. It teaches you sensitivity and it requires time from you to bring it about. I wasn't going to mention this, but in coming here, Phil and I were just talking about something from a few weeks ago. And the scripture that I've been preaching about from Nottingham and everywhere I've been in different countries over the last two or three months and has not left me yet, and those of you who are preachers know when when something lives in you, it lives in you. It's from Acts chapter 18 verses 9 and 10, and I'm not going to start on a message here at this time of the day. I'm very conscious of the time. But I want to just give you a headline. Around that idea, listen to God's voice in everything. This scripture became very alive to us as a congregation about 30 years ago and has been revived in our understanding, particularly for me as a person. The story is of Paul in Corinth And Jesus comes to speak to him again. Now, he's had visitations of Jesus before, being in uh, Ethiopia this last couple of weeks. Heard some unbelievable stories of Jesus appearing to people. There's a group of about 30,000 ex-Muslims who are Christians in one area where some of our brothers went after I was there. We did a conference in the main city, and then they were going down there for a baptismal service. And when the move of God first came to this group, It happened before my friend uh, got involved with them, and that in itself is an amazing story. They were in Friday prayers in a mosque, a big mosque, and the sheikh, like the mullah, was leading the Friday prayers. There were thousands of people in the mosque and all around the mosque because it's a big community event, as it is in those poor communities. And a huge light filled the mosque, which stopped everything because they realized something was happening. And after a few minutes, this light turned into a personification of Jesus Christ. And everybody in the mosque, and all the people outside came and looked. 6,000 people saw this picture of Jesus. And Jesus said to the sheikh, as he led the service, which had by now stopped, he said to him, you, I have appeared to you, Jesus speaking, I have appeared to you to tell you you are leading these people from darkness to darkness... I'm from death to death. And I've come to show you how to lead them to light and to life. Isn't that amazing? And then he gave him some further private instructions to learn how to keep this thing from trouble. So they started to teach about Jesus from the Quran and, and they kept meeting in the mosque. He was given tremendous wisdom. And Jesus said to him, in a time yet to be, I will send you further instructions. And about four years later, when my friend Teklu had started a ministry that God had spoken to him about 28 years before, and he'd been the general secretary of a a movement of 500 churches, and he said, I've got to leave it. I've got to go and work among the Muslims. Uh, He'd started this ministry. The Lord appeared to this sheikh again and said, now's the time for you to meet someone. He said, you're to go to this address, and you're to ask for these people. And he went from the southwest to the big city, met my friend, and as they say, the rest is history. And the 6,000 people that were involved in that at the beginning have now become 30,000 people. Uh, the Monday after I left, uh, before the weekend, the Monday they were going to baptize 100 Muslims before breakfast. And he is believing for baptismal services with 500 Muslims in within three years, he said to me. It's an amazing work of God. I'll tell you one more story. One significant man came to faith, and his brother was an active active Muslim, and he got really, really upset that his brother had become a Christian. And he put up with it for a bit, and then he decided he was going to go and kill him. So he left his house, intent on killing his brother, moved towards his house. There was a massive storm; he sheltered there, kind of big storms there. He sheltered, and when the storm was over, he set out again and realised, whether out of confusion or whatever found himself back in his own house. What am I doing here? I'm supposed to be going to my brother's house to kill him. He sort of got control of himself again. I don't know how many days went by, but he said, I've got to go and kill my brother. And he sets off again. There's another storm. He shelters again for a long time. And when the storm is over, he sets off again in this rage to kill his brother and finds himself back in his own house again. At which point, he's getting nervous. What is happening to me? And then... Jesus appears to him. And he said afterwards that Jesus was so big, he completely filled the fabric of this house beyond. It was just, he was massive. He said, And I stood up to him and I came up to his ankles. And he said to me, I have appeared to you because if you don't stop what you're doing, I'm going to kill you. Because your brother is my follower. And a holy man said some good things about his brother and what you're doing is not right. So he said, I've appeared to you to give you a warning so that you change your ways. He said, and to prove what I'm saying to you is true, tomorrow morning when you wake up, your strongest, fittest, biggest ox will be dead. He woke up the next morning early and guess what? The ox was dead. Perfectly fit ox, at which point he's now extremely nervous. Because Jesus is telling him, I'm going to do to you what I did to the ox. And soon, if you don't stop what you're doing. So he sets off for his brother's house, gets on his knees, repents before God, and becomes a follower of Jesus. Isn't that exciting? And there are stories and stories and stories like this. At least a third of these 30,000 people have had a personal visitation from Christ. Listen to God's voice in everything you do. The Acts 18 scripture. The apostle Paul... He's more experienced than Phil and I, or Eric, or your pastor. This man was one of the greatest Christians who'd ever lived. He was a top, top top-notch man, four-star general. They don't come any higher than Paul. And after all these years, he has another personal visitation from Jesus who says to him some really high-flying things. And one of the reasons why I've come back to it is because out of our conversation this morning, it just resonated again. And then the man of God prayed over this congregation at least twice about not being afraid because that's what Jesus said to Paul. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. If you're going to trust him, you've got to listen to his voice. He says to everybody, including the most experienced Christians in the room, like him and me. He says to all of us, don't be afraid. When you hear news about cancer, when you hear this, when you hear the troubles in the world, don't be afraid. I'm telling you, if you're going to trust in me, don't be afraid. Hear my voice. He says, keep on speaking. Keep on speaking. Listen, what, it, wasn't, it wasn't just, you know, pious or speak out a name. This, this is biblically important. We need to learn to confess what we're believing What's the promise in the Bible that you got underlined in those first Bibles when you were saved? Get them out again and say, God, I'm sorry. I've forgotten to keep speaking this stuff out. And confess it again over your family, over your life, over what God's saying to you. Because if we want trust to be high, we need to learn to listen to His voice in everything we do and we say and in hearing his voice he requires us to speak out he says don't be silent refuse to be intimidated by anything or anybody and face the facts he said i am with you no one's going to attack and harm you i have many people in the city i'm with this man anybody else believe i've asked god in this last little while that god would send in this area and in the whole of our country a tsunami of salvation I am believing for absolutely swarms of people because God has many people in this city. So if we're going to trust God, it involves listening to him. Even the most experienced of us need to hear simple truth again that we mustn't be afraid. She just coughed, by the way. None of you heard it, did you? And she knows I'm winding down anyway, which is cruel because she knows I'm coming to the end. I'll deal with her later. Not my words. I've wasted 14 seconds there. I could have nearly have landed. We have to not be afraid. We have to keep on speaking out what we believe God said to us. We have to refuse to be silent or intimidated. We have to believe the facts that he's with And he's got many people, including here. And if we trust him, what's going to happen? He is the one who will keep you on track. Because it's when you go off track that you lose time, you lose speed, you have more danger, you crash. Yes? Yes? If you trust him, he'll keep you on track. Trust will be high, cost will be low, and speed will be fast. And you have a life that pleases the Lord. Amen.